This is the session themed gratitude, November 2015. Depending upon how you count the talks, this is the fourth talk. So right now, right here, open your eyes. Feel your legs, your buttocks, and the cushion. Notice that you are hearing. Be alert. There is no reason in the universe that you should be able to do this. There is no reason that you should be able to do this. Right now, right here, notice thoughts that are floating through. Or notice the waves of textured feeling. It is not your right. There is no should involved here. What have any of us deserved, what have any of us done to deserve the gift of sight? What have any of us done to deserve being able to feel this body? There is no reason. So open your eyes, open your senses, open your awareness right here, right now. And everything you experience is a gift. And it's a gift that is given freely. It's a gift that moment to moment is given freely, completely freely, regardless of whether you are a defective worm or whether you're a Buddha. You have been given this amazing gift of your own life, your own experience, your own breath, right here, right now. For no reason. If we count up the chronology of our good deeds, they wouldn't mount to very much when compared to the gift of sight. This is the fundamental teaching of the Buddha Dharma, that all of our sadness, our grief, our joy, our seeing, our hearing, our speaking, our ability to feel, the pain in our knees, the ache in our backs, the sorrow in our hearts, is a gift. Is a gift. We're alive. Our despair itself is a gift. We're not stone monkeys. This foundation, this is the foundation of the Buddha Dharma. This is the foundation of practice. This is the foundation of life. And when we touch that truth, thank you very much. I have no complaints whatsoever, Sogen said. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Somehow or other, I have a back that can feel. Amazing. Thank you very much. Somehow or other, I have knees that can still feel. 
I have legs that can walk. I have a breath that can breathe. Thank you very much. There is a phrase in the Theravadan tradition, the Dharma is good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. And in that particular school, that tends to refer to the wonderful teachings of non-grasping and non-clinging, the wonderful teachings of the four immeasurables, compassion, sympathetic, joy, equanimity, and loving kindness. But in the Zen Buddhist tradition, the Dharma is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end, means that this awareness of our own being, there is no Dharma outside of our own experience. There is no Dharma outside of our own life. There is no Dharma outside of our own awareness. And that awareness, wonderful in the beginning, wonderful in the middle, wonderful in the end, wonderful the only time it can be experienced. So with that foundation, the problems of 20-year-olds, great. They've got good 20-year-old problems. The problems of 30-year-olds, hallelujah, they have 30-year-old problems and 40-year-old problems and 50-year-old problems and 60 and 70 and 80 and 90-year-old problems. It is these problems, as Hoban and Jogan have said, is these very challenges that is our life. No challenge, no life. Don't have a 20-year-old body, don't have 20-year-old problems. And some people would love to have 20-year-old problems, love to. When we say the Dharma is wonderful and the Dharma is good, and we say it is wonderful to have these particular challenges, it doesn't mean some glorified state. It means awareness. And awareness itself is a miracle. The foundation of the Buddha Dharma is that no circumstance, no experience, no challenge, no inconvenience is an obstacle to practice, is an obstacle to our life. It's all the life of the Buddha Dharma. So we say this over and over, and people hear this over and over. We hear that whatever you're aware of right here, right now, this, 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 this is where the juice is. This is where our life is found. This is where all the Buddhas manifest. And this is constantly changing and slipping away. Constantly. And we keep trying to get a picture in our mind of, okay, I'm now going to get a hold of this. I'm now going to hold my mind on this. I'm now going to become one with the present moment. I'm now going to be here now. We try to make it into a picture. We try to make it into a box. We try to make it into a solution. We try to make it into some kind of thing. But this is always changing. So when we say the Buddha Dharma is this life right now, 
we cannot draw any conclusion about it. Conclusion means it's ended. It means that we've kind of summed it up. It means that we, we have a, a final evaluation. This moment does not conclude. This moment can't be evaluated because it's gone and all we're evaluating is a story, a memory. This moment has no story. It's the experience of this moment which disappears. This moment has no right or wrong. It's only our mind's evaluation of this moment. So the foundation of Seshin, the foundation of gratitude, the foundation of our life, the foundation of practice is this very body, mind, life here itself. Now, in the Rinzai school of, of Buddhism, they don't do meditation. In the, in the traditional, according to the Rinzai Roku, the, the, the teachings of Master Rinzai, he never talks about meditation. He just says, function, 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 function. He just says, meet circumstance, meet circumstance, meet circumstance. In the Soto school, in Dogen Zenji's, they say, sit, 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 sit for long hours. Sit, look directly at the nature of mind, be aware. And if we make either of these particular things into a thing and say, oh yes, here's the recipe, we try to put it into a box, it doesn't work. There are things that can be discovered when the mind is still. There are things that can be discovered when we're sitting for long hours just simply being alert, watching everything move through that alertness, coughs, hands, breath, rain. And there are things to be learned when we realize everything is just calling us to respond, 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 respond. It's raining outside, and so we put on some kind of rain gear. The Dharma teaching is not a thing. It's not about a box. It's each thing, each, each experience has something to teach us. There's a wonderful koan in the Akigan Roku. I think it's Master Unmon. Unmon said, I don't ask you about before the 15th of the day. I don't ask you about the 15th of the day. What can you say? Anybody can say anything, as is the case in these teaching stories. Every day is a good day. Every day is a good day. Every day is fresh. Every day is something to learn. So we're sitting long and still with our minds big and spacious and watching all the whole universe flow through. There's something to be learned there. When we're responding and responding and responding and just meeting and meeting, crisis after crisis after crisis, things fall apart, things come together, we've got to buy this, we've got to go there. We're just meeting it, meeting it, meeting it. There's something to be learned there whether we're sitting, standing, lying, or walking. There's something to be learned. And how do we learn that? We learn by alert awareness. Alert awareness is the common denominator of our whole life. Alert awareness. And if we were alertly aware, we are aware that we are being given things all the time. Things coming from the inside, things coming from the outside, things arising from the great mystery from Prajnaparamita, from emptiness, 
and things disappearing all the time. The mind of gratitude, the mind of appreciation, is the result of a mind of great awareness. So we're here in Sushin, alert, aware, sitting still, mind open. Don't draw a conclusion. It's only a temporary state, however you have whatever level you happen to see this particular thing at. It's only a temporary dream-like condition. Learn from it. Engage it. Be present. This is not an ultimate teaching, of course. It's just a string of words and energies trying to encourage you to have deep faith and to pay attention to what is most intimate to your life. only thing that prevents us from resting in the mind of the Buddha is all of our evaluations about that. So right here, right now, feel your legs. And as you feel both legs, become aware of your breath. Now hold that inclusive awareness of your legs and your breath simultaneously. Now hear the rain, or the sound of whatever we're calling that out there. Legs, breath, sound. Legs, breath, sound. Body. And note, we're pointing out instruction, that if you are completely aware of your legs, and the sound simultaneously, they happen in the same place. Look and see. Legs, breath, sound. Legs, breath, sound, hand. Feel the floor, legs, breath, sound, hands. Feel the floor. You don't have to do it sequentially. You relax the awareness. You open the awareness. And with a kind of fuzzy awareness, you take it all in at once. It's all one thing. You feel your whole body all at once. It's your body. It's one thing. So right here, right now, legs. Floor, breath, sound, room. As we say over and over, all of us can feel our hands with no effort whatsoever. We can feel our feet with no effort whatsoever. 
You hear the nada sound. Some sound. This comes to us. The foundation is to not draw conclusions. I don't like that feeling. I'd prefer some other feeling. Come give me this knee. I'd like somebody else's knee. My back is all wumpy. I want somebody else's back, which is much nicer. Crazy. Crazy. There's a case in the Mumonkam. Poor Seize. A monk named Seize said to Master Sozan, I am poor and destitute. Please help me. Sozan said, Venerable Seize, yes. You've drunk three cups of the finest wine, and yet you say your lips are dry. I'm poor and destitute. Please help me. We all have done that. We have all have played this particular game. Oh, woe is me. I'm poor and destitute. My heart hurts, my back hurts, my head hurts, my girlfriend hurts, my boyfriend hurts, my foot hurts, my, you know, my job hurts, my car hurts, whatever the, oh, poor me, I'm poor and destitute. This thing is hurting. Hello? Everybody laughs. Where's the poverty? Where's the distress? People try to fool us all the time, coming forward weak and vulnerable and scared and confused and disheartened. It's a gambit. Somebody comes forward and says, oh, woe is me, oh. And believe me, we have all done this. I guarantee it. We've all done this. But as a practitioner, as somebody who has confidence in the Buddha Dharma, our task is to sit in the seat and to meet them and to see the truth that they are blessed beyond belief. They are blessed beyond belief. Hello? Here's your response. It is that ability to have a response so vital. And sometimes we reject the gambit. We say, oh, don't worry. It's not important. Just get over it. Let it go. Because from one vantage point, each person's got his or her own karma and it's going to play it itself out. Don't worry about it. So what? So what if you got a lot of back pain? Who cares? You know? Temporary. One response. And other times, we might take that particular gambit. We might take that particular person that comes forward and says, oh, poor thing. I'm so sorry. My heart hurts. Oh, poor. May I help you? May I can find some resources for you? May I can give you some ibuprofen? I'll tell you where it's, where it's located. <clears throat> Did he say to make you some gluten-free what's-its? And sometimes we accept the gambit and we play the game with it. Really, it's just a game. 
Our task is always, of course, to respond appropriately to where somebody is at, to do our very best to see what response will be most beneficial to them in terms of their own happiness, their own movement toward wholeness, their own confidence and faith in this wonderful miracle of their own life. To help them, encourage them to find liberation. And sometimes we encourage people by ignoring them, just saying, oh, shut up. <laughs> and sometimes we encourage people by saying, oh, please, come to my office. Let's talk. Tell me about this. The thing that each of us has to do is not to lose sight of the precious jewel, the precious gift, the preciousness of that individual's life. If we get sidetracked and we lose that eye, then all we're doing is just kind of messing around. But if, as we meet people, you know, I think in the Christian tradition they saw, talk about seeing Christ in each person. If it's a concept, if it's an idea, it doesn't do. But if we know from our very own direct experience that this particular life is a gift in my life, in my thought, my, my very experience, and yours, a complete gift from the universe, given once, never repeated, a jewel, a diamond. And then, with that confidence, we do our very best to respond to people in whatever way will really suit them, whatever way is appropriate to the circumstance. And sometimes, as we all know, what we want is a hug and a pat on the back and a hot cup of coffee. And sometimes, as we all know, people need to say, you know, get on with it. Go deal with it. You've got enough strength. Find your own power. Our task is never to lose sight of the jewel. And then, of course, the endless practice of upaya, of the endless practice of how do I become skillful? That's something that has no beginning, no middle, and no end. It's always, always, always there. How do I become skillful? skillful at working with myself, everybody else, toward liberation. But right here, right now, sitting here, listening to these droning sounds, the rain outside, there is no need to find liberation. Just look gratefully without complaint. Right now. This is not an ultimate teaching. Right now, right now, we all play the same game that poor Seize is playing. Even though we have tasted life. But that's, that's not an ultimate teaching. That's only one little slice of dharma. Let's look at it a little bit more carefully. Dogen Zenji in the Ginjo Koan, which we recite, I think we recite in the everyday here, as the line, to carry the self forward and realize that 10,000 dharmas is delusion. 
that the 10,000 dharmas advance and realize the self is enlightened. And 10,000 dharmas in this case just means all things. It means all upayas, it means all things, it means all wisdom, it just means everything. When we think that we are some small little homunculus, when we think we are some, some little thing inside our head, when we think that it's by the, the, the machinations of this homunculus inside about this, this thing, this ghost in the machine, when we think that there's something that that ghost needs that's going to make it wholly healthy and wise, and then we try to grab it, get it, and figure out how can I get it? How can I get it? And of course, with somewhat crude people, they try to get it with somewhat crude things. With refined, sensitive people, try to get it with refined and sensitive things. We're trying to get something else that's going to make us whole. Trying to get something that's going to make us whole. carry the self forward and realize the 10,000 dharmas. To get the 10,000 dharmas. So right now, open your eyes again. Notice the experience of seeing. And we've all learned through good science that you know, sight's a function of photons coming in the eyes and hitting the retina and the macula. And that gets translated into nerve impulses and goes into the ophthalmic cortex somehow the brain processes it, and whether the brain is a receptor of consciousness or a generator of consciousness, who knows. And it's marvelous that you know whole lives have been spent on photons, on macula, on retinas, on the neurotransmission of impulses. Wonderful. It's a marvelous miracle. And all of us who wear glasses or had cataracts or diseases are so appreciative of that ongoing investigation. And I hope it continues. I hope it deepens. But there are other truths. And when we're looking at other truths, we're not saying better truth, worse truth. We're saying there are truths. Here, in this particular tradition, we emphasize a particular truth. So you open your eyes and you look right now without the mind of science, without the mind of I know how it works. Actually, one of the nice definitions I like about science is science is I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works, so I'm going to hypothesize several things. I'm going to try to figure it out. Whereas, unfortunately, those of us who in the spiritual tradition are afflicted with I know how it works. <laughs> I know how it works, and as soon as we know how it works, we've shut the whole system down. Put it in a box, or a book, or whatever. So at this moment, we open our eyes, we look, and you can open your inner eye or your physical eye, and we look and we see that we are aware. We can see this Buddha on the altar. And now we look carefully at that image and we say, where is that experience? Where is the experience 
of this Buddha at the altar experienced it? Is it experienced on the altar? Is it experienced in the Buddha? Is it experienced in the eyes? Is it experienced somehow in the brain? There are no sensory nerves in the brain. So the, the, the brain can't, we can't experience the brain like we'd experience hands or different kind of nerves. Where is this visual experience experienced? Are we consciously telling our ophthalmic system, okay, now take those protons and digest them and put them in the image of a Buddha and then project the Buddha out there onto the front wall? If we look directly at our experience, the experience of the Buddha on the altar, if we look directly at the experience, we see that it has no location. The Buddha on the altar is, of course, the Buddha on the altar. That's, you know. But if we look at the experience, the experience of seeing, that experience cannot be put in a particular place. The experience of awareness has no location. The experience of our breath, of course, you know, we're aware of the breath, we're aware of, <laughs> you know, that whole thing. But the actual awareness, the experience of that awareness has no location. We could say it's floating in infinite space. We could say that we're aware of this body-mind. We're aware of sitting here in our bottoms, touching the seat, cushion, whatever. And but we're not aware of anything below that. We're not aware of anything below the actual sensation where our body is touching the floor. There's nothing there. There's no awareness. In a way, we can say it is just nothing but vast space. That we are sitting on top of vast space. Even if you say, okay, below me is the, the, the way it works here is there is a quarter-inch layer of bamboo, and then there's a half-inch layer of plywood, and there's a three-quarter-inch layer of plywood, and then there is a layer of some plastic, and then there's filled with sand, and then it's filled with concrete. No, then it's got insulation over the concrete. And then it's got concrete, about four to six inches of concrete. And then we get down to the earth. So even if you know all that, you say, what is the earth resting on? What's the earth resting on? What's the sun resting on? What's the solar system resting on? What's the galaxy resting on? What's at the bottom of it all? It's all just resting, if you can call resting the right word. It all is just in empty space. Of course, we're completely aware. But that awareness has no location. That awareness is not past or, pre or future. You can't even say it's present because it's... So we sit here with a amazement, or at least the indignation. We sit here thinking, oh my God. 
no bottom, no location, no place, full of experience. But I don't know which side of the galaxy I'm on. I don't even know which side of the solar system I'm on. I'm not even sure which side of the sun I'm on right now. Maybe we're not. Awareness itself resting in space. So become aware of your legs again. Become aware of your body breathing. Anchor yourself in this present moment. Time there is, feel it. You don't need to evaluate whether you're feeling it well or not well. You're feeling it. That's fine. <coughs> Foundation of the Buddha Dharma. <coughs> and now, resting in this awareness, open the eyes. Open the eyes and look. Feel your legs, feel your back, feel your breath, and open your eyes and look. But feel your legs, feel your breath, back, feel your breath. Open your eyes and look. Now, when you're doing those at the same time, they happen in the same location. You're doing them sequentially. You know, legs are down there, and back is over there, and head is up there, and eyes are out there. But when you're actually feeling your legs, and you're feeling your breath, you're feeling your body, and you're opening your eyes at the same time, your mind is not busy making some story up. It all happens the same place. Completely interpenetrates. This is not some philosophy. It's just simply direct experience. Now, don't sit there. Hold your awareness. Don't worry about whether it's spacious or not, don't worry about whether it penetrates or doesn't penetrate, all that stuff. Irrelevant stuff. Forget it. Sit here with your aware of your back, aware of your legs, aware of your wind. Now, as you're aware of the room and your back and your legs, just make a little adjustment in case you think I'm inside looking out or I'm outside and see that there is one seamless field of awareness. A seamless field of legs and back and breath and eyes and sound and sight and movement. One seamless field, and you are not inside or outside. You are one seamless field. And just hold your awareness there, one seamless field. Not inside, not outside. mind keeps collapsing back into, oh, woe is me, so what? Now, in this seamless field, seamless field of awareness, awareness has no parts. It's a seamless field of awareness. Note that we often have fixed ideas Fixed ideas of, oh, there's something better. Oh, if I just get rid of this, 
oh, if I just had that experience. Oh, if I just got rid of that pain in my leg. Oh, if I just opened my heart. So correct for that. That is, those are all just fixed ideas. And they're added on to the seamless experience of awareness. And just note, those are simply fixed ideas. Let them go. Let go of the notion of getting better, of seeing some other insight that's going to be the juicy one, of getting rid of all those horrible defects and warts. And hold your awareness right here, a seamless awareness in this moment. Now it's nice to just look, you know, ask the classic questions when you're holding yourself in seamless awareness. Does it have any beginnings? Like to see. Does it exist in any other time? Like to see. It is this seamless awareness of our own being, our own intimate experience, that is the foundation, another foundation. Now, if you want to try, you're welcome to play around with this a little bit. the eyes. And of course, there's still seamless awareness with the eyes open or closed. This visual field is still fully functioning. You can still be aware of something behind your eyes, wherever it's located. And usually, if I'm asking people individually, I say, what's behind your eyes? They say, I don't see anything. I say, you really see, must see something. I say, well, I see it's black. I say, well, look closely at the black. I say, oh, well, it's actually mottled. Well, I say, for these, we don't use the word mottled. Um, you know, I see, I see spots, I see spots of what, spots of black, spots of white, maybe I see spots of red. I say, look carefully into the spots of black and white and red. How big are those spots? Oh, they're very, very, very tiny. And then we gradually get into the granular awareness of the energetic field. So, just do that. <laughs> look at the back of your eyelids, see what's there. See what's there, no big deal. Don't think about what should be there. See what's there. And then you feel the body, and you feel inside the body, and you feel the body also has the same granular, pixelated, energetic, quivering experience. Say, oh, I've got an arm. Well, you look into the arm. Look into the skin, look into the hair, look into the sinews, look into the bone. Oh, yes, I've got a radius and an ulna. Well, you look into the radius and the ulna, and you see what's, what's, it, what's the sensation composed of. And we boil sensation down. We boil sensation down until we boil it down 
into an amorphous mass of awareness. No form. in that formless truth, your breath comes. We open our eyes again, and suddenly all the light is there. We turn our attention, and we hear the sound around us, all composed of the same thing. It all comes from the same source. It all has both texture and non-texture. So probably, if you're sitting with a seamless awareness of the infinite, intimate nature of things, probably out of the blue, a train sound will come. Probably. Let's see if that happens. intending it, the flower attracts the butterfly. Without intending it, the butterfly seeks out the flower. When the flower opens, the butterfly comes. When the butterfly comes, the flower opens. I'm the same. I may not know many other people, and yet they may not know me. But without knowing one another, we, eventually, we naturally follow the universal law. Things are constantly arising out of this great mystery. And our response is yes, okay, no complaints, I'm present. Yes, yes, yes. And then in that yes, we respond. Our goal is not to become vacuous lumps of amorphous awareness. Our goal is not to become people who are, have nothing further to do, and so they say they're going to become lazy bums, which is doing something. Our task in Sashin, in our life, is to ground our awareness in reality and respond, 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 respond. And we sit for long hours to really become intimate and familiar with that nature that needs no movement and needs no, nothing extra. It's present in all places and all times, that nature 
And then we take it out into the world and we respond and respond and respond. That's what Master Rinzai says. Rinzai, Linji. We keep trying to find the Buddha. But Buddha is merely a name. We keep trying to find the truth. But truth is merely a name. We keep trying to find enlightenment. But enlightenment is merely a name. Don't you know what it is that you are running around seeking? The Buddhas and the ancestors of the three periods and the ten directions appear only in order to seek the Dharma. Three periods, past, present, and future, ten directions, nadir, antithesis, or You followers of the way who are studying today, you too have only to seek the Dharma. Attain the Dharma and you're all done. Until then, you're going transmigrating through the five paths of existence, just as you have been. What is the Dharma? The Dharma is the Dharma of awareness. Awareness is without form. It pervades the ten directions and is manifesting its activity right before your very eyes. But because you lack sufficient faith in this, you turn to names and phrases, attempting to grasp the Buddha Dharma through written words. They're as far away as heaven from earth. Followers of the way, when I, this mountain monk, expound the Dharma, what Dharma do I expound? I expound the Dharma of the mind ground, of awareness itself, which enters the secular and enters the sacred, the pure and the defiled, the real and the temporal. But if you make a concept out of real and temporal, you put secular and sacred in a box, you attach labels to all that is real and temporal, secular and sacred, then they become dead. Stay alive. And that is our practice now. Stay alive. Stay alert. Stay present. When we are alive and alert and present, gratitude naturally comes. Maybe not effusive, oozing out, oh, you're so sweet, I love you, kind of gratitude. But a deep respect and appreciation. Yes, yes, yes. This is not the ultimate teaching. So don't make it into put it in a box. It's not the ultimate teaching. But it is a vital teaching to what we are right here, right now. So please have deep confidence. Have deep faith. You cannot fall out of the universe. I guarantee it. You will not fall out of the universe. And you won't even fall out of your own skin. And yet, in a way, you never were in it. So please, as we have these last few hours, look carefully. See what is most intimate. Have deep confidence. 